Hi, this is Jeffrey Lamb uh, from the University of Toronto, defensive back number 30, and you're listening to At The 55. Hello and welcome to At The 55, your home for OUA football. Today is episode four of the Life After Football series, and joining us today, we have our first UFT Blues member since week one of the off-season walkthrough tour, which feels like about six years ago when we sat down with the Bird Gang. This man literally bleeds blue as he is part of a UFT legacy family, son of John, brother of JJ. Joining us today, we have Jeffrey Lamb. Jeff, how you doing, man? I'm good. How you doing? You know, just hanging in there, you know, making the best of what we got. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> so, Jeff studied kinesiology, UFT, played some football from the GTA area, come from a great football school, Huron Heights, up in the, I guess, Aurora area. And as I kind of set up, you have some family ties with the school. Your father is still not only not only played uh, both football and, if I read correctly, basketball at UFT, but then coaches with the team. And then you actually got to play with your brother as well. Talk a little bit about your decision to go to UFT, your experiences there, and what that was like getting the connection with your family at the school. Yeah, so just um, like I just come from a U of T family. My mom went to U of T. My dad went to U of T, as you said, like two sport athlete. Uh, my sister went. So I just, it's a U of T family through and through. And then when it came to decide where I wanted to go to university and even play football, it was always 90% U of T. I had looks, I had interest in other schools and other schools had interest in me, but you know, nine times out of 10, when court, when like coaches from other schools would talk to me, it's the same with my brother. It's, we know you're probably going to U of T, but <laughs> we're going to do our due diligence and talk to you anyways. That's... And I, I like, I'd give them the time of day, you know, just out of respect. Um, Cause a lot of, I had a lot of good coaches wanting to talk to me. So I didn't want to turn them, turn them away and seem like, you know, a little bit of a snobby kid at 18 so now was your brother was already on the team when you were being recruited yeah yeah my brother when i was my first year i think was his third year at the school so and your dad was already coaching at that point too yeah uh my dad at that point was volunteering like he helped do training camps helped do spring camps so my first year there he was a, he was he was a parent for my first year and then in my second and third year is when he's he came on as a uh, volunteer coach and helped out um, with special teams he did linebackers dbs when we needed to he was just helping on the defensive side of the ball wherever they needed help so you're mentioning that you, you listened to the recruiting pitch gave them you know the, the their their time the time of day but you had other schools also knocking on the door for uft did they really try and twist your arm with the family angle like it would be a betrayal of your you know your own kin to not go to uft the ironic thing was uh, U of T didn't really give me a lot of interest. Uh, they knew they knew about me uh, through my brother because I had been around games and I had met the coaches before. Um, but a lot of schools thought that because my brother went back for a fifth year, they thought I would do the same thing because I was an undersized kid in grade 12, thinking that I would go back, get another year under my belt, put some size and mass on. But at that point, when I was graduating, I was a like a 95 average student didn't really want to go back for another year to just play football. I was ready to go to school. For me, it was more about going to school and then playing football and not just strictly playing football. And as far as a school to pick for academics, you obviously picked one of the you know best schools anyone could pick in not only the country, but arguably 
the continent in UFT. And that's an angle that I'm, I'm curious about because it's such a, you know, UFT perhaps over the, well, not perhaps, really, if we're being fair, hasn't had that much success in recent years. And I, I'm always been curious about how big a factor the academic stress of the school perhaps puts on players from reaching, maybe not to say reaching their potential, but maybe it turns away some other players that are more looking for strictly football and don't want to have to take on the burden of a heavier academic load than if they can go to another school where they can more focus on football, they can get their degree and all that. What what was your take on on the experience there with the balancing the academics and and football? Well, like any like uh, as I assume any first year with student would tell you, like the first year absolutely just kicks kicks your ass. Uh, second year. You get, a, you get a little bit used to it, but it's still kind of tough. Uh, my first couple of years at U of T were not the greatest. I'll say that um, to the point where I'll say the university recommended it to take a one-year vacation for a little bit and then, and then come back. So for me, it was I knew that the workload was going to be not necessarily more difficult, just more – there was more volume. Not that the work was hard because it was stuff, especially in kinesiology, it's stuff that I learned in grade 12 through exercise science and I had a general background of, but it's just the amount of work. I think that's what a lot of students underestimate. It's not the, it's not that work gets harder. You just have to work. You have to work harder because there's more of it. Now, talking about some of the on the field stuff, I think people... Uh, you know, despite the lack of success, people can easily overlook a lot of the talent that has gone through that school. And just two names in particular, with you being a defensive guy, that I just want to get your take on sharing the field with them. Um, first off, uh, Malcolm Campbell, and then secondly, uh, Nick Hallett, two guys that I don't know if Malcolm got, or if he returned to the CFL. I know he got drafted and then he got sent back for his last year, but Nick, obviously, big part of that Grey Cup winning uh, Blue Bomber team and now being, of course, joined by his brother Noah from McMaster. But just those two guys in general or anyone else uh, of, of note that you got to play with, because uh, I think a lot of people overlook some of the individuals just because of the lack of team success. But there are absolutely a ton of ballers that have gone through that program in the last dec- in the last decade. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, there's a lot of I've had the opportunity and privilege to play with a lot of good players on both sides of the ball. Um I just remember lining up, going going to uh, summer practices before training camp started, and I'm and I'm lining up to play corner, and all of a sudden I'm looking across the field and I see Paul DePass line up across <laughs> from me, and I'm thinking, oh, this this is only going to go horribly, but um, yeah, it just it's great to share the field with all the guys. You talk about Malcolm, um, great defensive leader, very vocal guy, um, you know, a lot of guys that. He's, he's one of the few leaders that I've met on a team who can get in a, someone's face if he needs to go and call them out, but he'll also just keep his mouth shut, come in, come into the weight room, do the work, lead by example, and get out. He can do both. He can turn both on if he needs to, and that's one thing I think that makes him – that made him a great leader for our team. And then for Hallett, just, again, same thing. More, more of a quiet guy was also just a guy who would come in, do his work, and leave. But if if he needed to speak up, he would, and guys would listen to him. Because if Hallett's speaking up, then it mean, it's serious. Because he doesn't, he didn't talk that much. 
Well, I mean, you know, the leaders don't always have to talk uh, the most in the locker room. You know, lead by example. Um, we're gonna, I'm gonna play a little game here. Uh, I'm gonna put you in the leadership shoes, and we're gonna go back in time six years or five years, and I want you to talk to your old self, I guess your younger self, and what would you kind of say, uh, you know, to a young Jeff going into U of T to maybe do a little different, or maybe not even go to U of T. I don't want to break your family apart there but what would you <laughs> advise yourself to do a little different um you know to maximize the academics and even maximize the the football uh mostly it would just be academics i came in kind of a i was a lazy student in grade in grade 12 didn't you say you wait know, sorry didn't you have a 90 did, we said something about a 95 yeah, yeah but I, it's the smartest I, kids I really, that are the laziest kids oh my goodness <laughs> I, true true here's the thing i i, I would i would always procrastinate and work under a very self-induced, stress-based um, work ethic, which didn't help, uh, was not sustainable uh, for university. So I think if I were to talk to my younger self, it would be take school seriously because uh, as, as simple as that sounds, it's easier said than done. Um, it's all about just developing good work habits and good um, a routine. A routine is what I needed the most when I was in first year, and just figuring out if you've got if you got a lift in the morning and then you got class and you got a little bit of a two-hour break in between. You know, are you going to go back to res and eat food? Or are you going to, you know, get um, a takeout lunch from the meal hall and just go to your building that your next class is in and eat there and read up on notes or download all your slides or what have you. Um, and then you got practice and then, okay, after practice, what are you doing? Are you going to go? It's very easy to just say, Oh, I've had a long day and you know, I'm going to take my shoes off and just sit in bed and do nothing. But it's, it's, it's hard to balance school and football, especially because football is so demanding in terms of time. But the hardest thing is just finding find a space in the day for your academics. And as much as they say that, you know, academics come first when you're spending 14 hours a day in the stadium, especially during training camp, well, when school doesn't apply, it doesn't really matter. But when every living moment is either at class or in at the stadium doing film and meetings or just hanging up before practice, it's finding, it's finding time for everything. You can't make time, obviously. So it's just finding the time to get into a routine of finding what classes are most important, first of all, because you can prioritize readings and lectures and notes. And then from there, it's just all a matter of balancing it all. And then maybe someday, and then if guys, for me, for my first couple of years, I wasn't playing. So for weekends, it would be, I'd put, I'd have, I had a TV in my room. So I just hook up my laptop to the TV, put the game on, on silent so I could kind of work. And then it's do all my do all my work in two day for two days that I missed during the week or that's coming up, and then just periodically peer over at the game and see what's going on. But especially for me because I didn't play much of my first three years, I wish I had known basically how to manage my school time because when it was when I had downtime, I wasn't doing anything, and that it came back to bite me hard in the ass in my third year. Oh, I mean, I, I can definitely relate to my last year at university. I was on uh, academic probation. It's not something I'm proud of, but I mean, 
it's something that sometimes happens. Um, and we, you know, th- this would be, you're the, the fourth uh, guest we've had on for this series. And I think the main thing a lot of people say is time management uh, is kind of the best thing. You know, there are more hours in the day than you think. And maybe just for those 30 minutes you want to watch Netflix, maybe don't and uh, <laughs> crack open one of the readings. Now, just a follow-up question. We're still back in time. You just said all of that to your younger self. Are you listening to that advice? Or are you saying, <laughs> fuck you, I'm smart? <laughs> Yeah, younger me would probably say no because my brother told me the exact same thing and I didn't listen to him. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. I mean, with every kid I coach, I'm like, you really got to take school seriously. But in the back of my head, I'm like, my coaches said that. And I pretty much in my head said, fuck you, I'll do what I want. And then you just, at one point or another, you're going to get hit with your schoolwork and realize it's it's not the same as high school. Not yeah, another, another thing that I would tell myself is if you need help, ask for it because no one else knows what you're going through. And there's nothing wrong with asking me for help. I wish I had asked for help in my second and third year because I wouldn't have taken a year off of school doing nothing. Um, the, the resources are there for students coming in. If you're struggling, whether in first, second, third, or fourth year, you know, there's a resource for you. There's, there's study hall, there's writing centers, there's, pe- there's people who will look over your papers and help you write papers. Um, if you just, even if you don't want to go to like the formal, uh, like resources for you and like the learning centers or whatever, just ask, ask a vet, ask someone who's been in your, who's in your program, who's older than you, because they can tell you the ins and outs. I had a lot of kin guys come to me asking me about classes. Um, and when I'd hear them talking about it, I'd just sometimes tell them about things to be wary of or be aware of. And then, um, yeah, just go from, and just ask for help. Doesn't matter from who, um, because there's, there's nothing wrong with asking for help in terms of school or anything else. Um, and your teammates are there for you. You know, you, we always talk about football being a team sport and a family thing. Um, so it's not just on the field and everything related to football. It's everything that's happening in personal life, mentally, physically, academically, and all that. Now, that actually brings up a good point. I mean, we'll, we'll touch on, on help probably a little bit more later. But for you, do you think that there is... Uh, a stigma for football players that I mean obviously it's you know be tough be a man you know don't show your weakness do you think there's the same kind of mentality when it comes to school because I mean I felt in my last year I felt weird being on uh, probation I remember I was, I was sitting in the locker room and I found out and I was really kind of not upset but down on myself and really all it means is you know I just had to take one less class and I was fine because I had already taken enough credits and but then as soon as I said it in the locker room like three other guys were like oh yeah shit like me too like it's not a big deal like it happens like do you think there is that kind of a lot of players think that oh because I need help in school like I, I shouldn't show this quote-unquote weakness even though it isn't I think yeah I think there is too but at the same time um I, I found this out or like I started seeing this when I was in my like near the end of my career and I just see like the coach, like coaches would our coach, coach Marshall would say it all the time. Like if you need help, go to it because it's there for you. You know, we all want to, we all want to, you know, put the Jersey on on Saturday and lace up. But at the end of the day, um, it's different for others. But for me, my biggest goal was going to school and getting a degree and being able to get a, a good paying job when I was, when I was finished. Um, a lot of guys see, differently you know a lot of guys have some aspirations of going pro and not to knock those guys but you talk about how many you know eight teams and eight or nine teams in the cfl only like 50 something picks in the draft like not everyone's getting drafted especially when a team itself has a hundred guys 
Um, so, you, you know, it's, it's education first for me. That, that was the reason why I came to uh, U of T was to get a quality education and also to, if I went anywhere else, I think my parents would disown me. So. <laughs> well, I can definitely connect with a lot of the themes that both you and Dakota were mentioning there. And much like with the advice from whether it's coaches or older players of making sure you get your academics in line, it's the same story with the number of coaches who will tell you, you know, don't slack off in practice because one day you won't have it and you're going to miss it. And I heard that so many times, but then I, it doesn't click in until you're a volunteer coach and you're telling it to some young kid and then they're not listening. It's this it's repetitive. It's this repetitive cycle that just seemingly goes on and on. Uh, but you mentioned in there your the goals you had upon graduating. So let's get into a little bit of that now. Let's talk a little bit about the life after football. What's uh, I mean, obviously, this has been. A, a particularly strange year uh, for the obvious reasons, but just in terms of what you've been up to, uh, let's get into that a little bit. Oh, geez. Well, let's see. My first, because we played, our last game was on a Saturday. So it's like, okay, yeah, Sunday, we don't have, you know, flush, don't have uh, a uh, post-game meeting. So didn't have anything on Sunday, so it didn't really hit me then. And then I go to class, show up to class on Monday. All my classes are in the morning. So, you know, let's go to class in the morning, class in the afternoon. And then I'd usually come home for a couple hours before practice, eat lunch, hang out for a little bit. And then it's up oh, four o'clock. I got meetings. And then four, it was getting close, like three 30. I was like, oh, I don't have to do anything today. This is really weird. So the first, it was a blessing and a curse. I loved having more free time, but at, at the same time, it was, you know, I'm not part of the team anymore. I'm gone. They, they called my name for the graduation ceremony. I shook Coach Marshall's hand. I shook the 80s hand. I got my picture taken, play the game, and then that was it. Uh, so it's it's weird because I, I've been in competitive sports since I was four, playing hockey and football and everything else in high school. And then for to just suddenly be removed from sports and have to basically adjust to being a regular dude again was was weird you know sports i've been in sports more in my life than i haven't been in sports so um just like the taking like from some of the classes i've took on this just talking about athlete identity you know for retirement or when people are removed from sport whether it's by choice choice or it's forced upon them it's difficult because you associate your whole life and identity is being an athlete. And then when you're no longer an athlete, it's, it's a moment of crisis. Cause you're, it's, well, who am I now? Am I just another guy who's going to go to school and work a nine to five for the rest of my life? You know, it's, it was really difficult. The first, I will say the first, the first two weeks were very difficult because I was, cause I just missed football. I missed training. I missed, all the guys in the locker room and just missed all the stupid conversations we'd have and all the stupid things we do. Um, so that's when it was just like, well, you know, I need to, I need a new hobby. I need to do something. So that's for me, it, it was getting back into playing hockey. You know, I was playing, I was a hockey player long before I was a football player. And now I'm playing hockey again. Well, not now. Cause everything's canceled. <laughs> No, I mean, I, I miss hockey too. I mean, I miss sports in general. Um, and I mean, it's, it's, it's good to hear that you're at least you're, you're sounding, you're sounding okay with it. I mean, for some people it's, it can last longer than two weeks. I mean, I know when I stopped playing 
and then it kind of really sunk in that I was like, oh, I'll probably never put pads on again. You know, there's definitely yeah. some uh, some darker days. And just speaking on that, do you think, and this isn't a, a shot at U of T or at any university, um, and maybe they do stuff that I don't know about, but do you think there's anything that the, the school itself or even the, the football team can do to kind of help kids or, I mean, I guess young men transition out from, from football? I've, we, we spoke to some other players, and they said, you know, maybe – peer mentorship where they have guys that used to play come in and just talk to second and third year guys and let them know kind of what that adjustment's going to be like i mean because it's better than talking to your younger self in high school um because these kids might actually listen um is there anything that you think that you know uft or just you sports in general can do to help kids transition from you know 14 hours a day in film in the gym and on the field to oh shit kind of what what do i what do i do now I think, yeah, the peer mentorship is, is a good idea. I think that'd be really good for just, you know, old guys like me to, you know, keep, keep some, keep their fingertips in, in the, in the uh, system somehow, but also just like, I don't know, it's kind of hard. Um, it's, it's hard to answer that question. Cause for me, like when I was going into training camp my last year, like I knew it was my last one and I felt like I was prepared, but then all of a sudden, you know, I remember on the last game, uh, you know, clock hit zero. We walked down to our end zone. Coach Marshall was giving us a frontal speech, and I just was on one knee, and I just put my head down, and I sobbed uncontrollably for a solid 10 minutes. You know, it's it's hard to – it's hard knowing that it's your last year, but when it actually hits you, it's hard. So I think if you can find something to soften that flow, um, that's one way to do it. Uh, how you do it and how you implement it is different because um, a lot of guys might be in denial a lot of guys don't want to hang them up forever um, for me now looking back at it like the funny thing is if I really wanted to I could appeal for another year of eligibility just because of the year I took off and didn't play and I didn't play uh, all my first two years and my dad was asking me about that actually when it happened he said you know you, know, you could appeal right and I said yeah I know I could would I want to probably not it's you know I'm done I can I can happily say that my football career is over I I don't regret that it's over I missed some things about it but in terms of the grind and Everyone talks about the grind, and I didn't mind the grind. I loved being in the gym. I loved working out. Um, training camp was a different story. You hate it's good for the first couple of days, and then you hate it, and then you love that it's over. Um, but you know, the one thing that I don't miss is just like the how physically demanding it can be on your body. Um, I just I just came back from work doing camp with little kids and I'm running around and my knees are sore. <laughs> I'm tight. My legs are sore. I'm just, Oh man, I should have stretched a little bit more. Or it's like, you know, you sleep wrong on your back and then you wake up and your back's sore. So I don't, I don't miss, I don't miss being football sore. I'll say that. <laughs> I mean, I, I definitely agree with you there. I mean, I just turned 28 and sometimes my knees will just say, no, not today. We're not going not, to, not going <laughs> to happen. Yeah. Um, and like, and like I was saying, I mean, football is kind of, and I, I don't want to make it sound like, oh, it's so cool and so different, but football is one of those sports that when it's done, it really is done. And I mean, like you were saying, you know, you just joined back and started playing hockey. And I mean, that's my, actually my favorite sport. And I, I enjoy that. Like I, I can literally play hockey until like my wheels fall off, like until I'm 65, I can join a, a seniors beer league, but there's not really that for football. So, 
I mean, that's kind of why we're trying to talk about this because football is one of, if not the only sport where it's kind of once it's done, it's it's done and you can help out in aspects, but not you'll never put pads on again unless it's just for some weird photo shoot or reminiscing. <laughs> yeah, I was like, there are a few like adult uh, leagues that some some of uh, some people that played UFT play on and they're like trying they were trying to get me and my brother to play and it's like ah yo i'd love to play with you guys again but also at the same time i don't want to i don't want to have to tackle another 230 pound dude who's untouched up a hole like up the a gap i don't want to have to i don't want to have to you know play bumping around with a dude who's six four i don't want to i don't want to have to be in the box and take on a puller or shed a block and make a tackle you know and then also, there's flag football leagues, but again, it's flag football, no contact, yeah. not the same. Yeah, it's uh, it's a lot of fun. It's definitely not the same though. Yeah, it's, you can scratch that edge, but you can't scratch it fully. <laughs> exactly, perfect metaphor. You know, it's interesting though. You mentioned that you're sort of. Uh, reminiscing on that last game not to go too much into to my own story but for me I was very much stumbling through the finish line personally just wanting to get out and just wanting that last semester over and wanting to go home but invariably once that to sort of use your same uh, line there once the clock hit zero it didn't matter what I had felt leading into it just all the emotion just came came to the forefront so uh, I you know I'm, I'm sure anyone who's ever put the pads on and had taken them off can connect with that um, mm-hmm. On a slightly slightly lighter note, I'm, I'm curious talking about your life, the life after football. How serious is your future as a potential Instagram chef going? <laughs> well, if you boys follow me, that's one more for the <laughs> But uh, I don't know. Again, it's we talk we when we talk about like things after football. You know, I've enjoyed cooking ever since I was young, and uh, you know, it's something that I got into with helping my mom cook. Um, helping my sister bake when I was younger. Um, you know, again, we you know, we talk about life after football and adjusting. You know, when I was sitting by myself at six o'clock thinking, man, I should be practicing right now. I was like, you know, maybe because I thought about it before because I just enjoy cooking. I enjoy doing a whole bunch of stuff. I was like, maybe I'll just make a food account. Maybe it'll be something to occupy my time. Maybe that's my new hobby. And, uh, you know, the the cooking's going well. Uh, not not expecting to you know blow up the uh, whole platform of Instagram <laughs> overnight, but it's just it's just something to do, something to keep me entertained. It's also just an excuse to try a whole bunch of different recipes and things I want to make, and then see how it turns out. Well, nothing wrong with that, and I mean maybe this is more of an issue for the the linemen as far as the life after football component, but getting the food right after you finish playing football is no doubt super important. And obviously that's a little different from what you're doing and just making these delicious the delicious dishes. But for so many guys I know that I played line, the line with where you're used to eating three to 4,000 calories a day to maintain the lifestyle that or the, the f- physique you needed to play the game. But once you remove all the training, all the practice, all the just the, the need to be 300 plus pounds, the, the food is... You know, that's the one that they don't take away from you. That's more of a personal thing. It doesn't matter if you can't practice or you can't go to the weight room anymore. Your choice to, you know, get the extra burger or the extra whatever, that's still a very personal choice. So obviously a little different, but no doubt 
the food component in the life after football is, is a big is a big piece. Did you, did you notice that at all for you, just in terms of the level of just consumption that you probably ate as a high um, high caliber athlete, and then transitioning out of that? Obviously, you said you still played hockey, but did you find that tricky at all? For me, it wasn't the food that was the hardest part because, you know, I'm, I'm a lean guy. I've lost almost 10 pounds since I stopped playing, maybe more, but I put, I put bad muscle or bad, <laughs> bad weight back on and lost good, good weight. Um, so I always needed to eat an insane amount of food to just maintain weight, let alone um, gain mass. So for me, the food isn't really... It wasn't that wasn't the big issue for me because it was just you know instead of eating six meals a day I'm back to three which I should <laughs> like like any normal person when I'm eating three meals a day um, for me it was it was like exercise it was like oh man you know that the one thing I miss about football is the obligation to go to the weight room and lift five times a week but now that that's over it's you know it's eh, I had class all day. I'm a little, I'm a little tired. Now I'll go tomorrow, and then tomorrow becomes the next day, and then the next day, yeah, I'll get, I'll go next week, and then next week turns the next month. So for me, it's just you know, getting my ass back into the gym and routinely going to the gym was the hardest part for me, um, because my food and portion control was always okay. I just ate less, but now I'm exercising less, yeah. so it's kind of balancing itself out. Well, to quote the legendary restaurateur and capitalist, Mr. Krabs, uh, what is today but yesterday's tomorrow? I remember him dropping that in an episode of SpongeBob way back in the day. I never forgot it. Uh, <laughs> last, last thing I want to ask about. I can't, I can't believe you remembered that. I watch a lot of SpongeBob. <laughs> I don't know that. Oh, I ended up studying philosophy, so I have to imagine that maybe those uh, lessons from Mr. Krabs uh, inspired me in my choice of uh, academia, but perhaps, you know, who knows? Uh, I think last thing I want to touch on, uh, kind of going back to your experience at UFT, because this is something that we touched on with some of the guys we talked to back in, I don't remember if it was January or February when we met with the Bird Gang, it was January, but the the experience, and we talked with guys from York about this too, but the experience of playing football and being right in downtown Toronto, um, wow, I I sound like someone not from Toronto there. Uh, stressing the second T, playing in downtown Toronto. Um, what was that like? How did you feel that, you know, that experience was? Um, I mean, obviously that was your only experience playing university football. But did you feel that that was a challenge in some rights, in some regards, or did you think that that gave made things easier? What What was your impression of that? Um, it's hard to say. Uh, I liked. Living in like living in Toronto and still and you know, I'm still here. Um, I had been I'd been down a lot because when my brother was there, I'd go down and watch his games. And you know my grandparents lived in Toronto, so I was always down in Toronto. Um, so I was familiar with the area, and I just like you know I knew my way around the city. So when I finally came to U of T, I knew where everything was. So I wasn't like I wasn't like the uh, the small town boy in the big city for the first time. You know I. I had I had a little uh, um, knew a little bit of the way of the land, but uh, I loved playing in Toronto. Um, one thing I don't miss is how hot it gets in the summer, uh, especially <laughs> during training camp, and the, it's 35 degrees, and then you step on the field and it's 45. But uh, just the stadium, the stadium itself is great. You know, it's downtown. Um, it's cool. Just people. Are, People are walking and driving past you on the street while you're playing. It's just a really cool place.
place to be, especially where the stadium is now. And there's all these like, there's new, there's condos going up. There's old buildings to like, you know, we're right next to Varsity Arena and that's a legendary state or arena on its own. You look south and you see the CN Tower. You see the giant ice box that is Gold Ring to the west. Um, yeah, it's just a very cool spot. And especially with it being Toronto, there's just so much to do. If you have free time, you're going, you know, you can go to Chinatown, you can get food. There was, you know, there's restaurants everywhere if you want to go. There's like little cool spots everywhere. Um, if you want to go up for a night out, there's many places to pick from. It's, it was just really cool playing in Toronto and just seeing all the different lifestyles and all the different like people essentially, you know, growing up in Aurora is a very white town. I'll say that. <laughs> so going to Toronto and just seeing all these people, different cultures, different ethnicities all coming together and, you know, and just seeing being exposed to all that was really cool because um, it was something I was aware of, but then you just see it for yourself firsthand. And then it's, it's a really cool experience. hundred percent. And I remember the first time I got to play at a game at varsity stadium, I think it was in my third year. And as you kind of allude to, you look to the South and you can kind of see it creeping over varsity arena, the CN tower there. And, uh, you know, growing up in the city, that was, uh, that was an incredible moment for me, and I, I think as well, and Dakota would probably agree on this, maybe sometimes having been born and raised here, you take for granted some of those aspects that you that you brought up that uh, that really do make uh, the city so incredible. So, uh, you know, that's awesome because I know for me and Dakota, we'd like we'd like to see some more guys, you know, choosing Toronto for their for their collegiate home for for football, because I mean, as you said, the, it's a great place. It's not only a great place to play, but it's one of my favorite stadiums to watch a game, a nice Friday, Saturday evening. Varsity Stadium, Red and Blue Bowl, even oh my goodness, it's it's a great time. Yeah, it's I, I it's gonna sound like a homer opinion because I went to U of T, but it's one of my favorite places to have just played and experienced um, playing. Um, Richard Richardson Stadium in Queens is very nice now that it's renovated and not made out of grass <laughs> anymore. That grass field was awful. I'm really glad they changed it. <laughs> Beautiful. Well, Jeff. Thank you so much for joining us today, sharing your experiences at U of T and your all your you know what what you've gone through leaving and coping with your life after football. Uh, really appreciate you taking the time, man. Not a problem. Thanks for having me on, boys. Anytime. Thank you.